just think about it as like superpowers with your data. It really just allows marketers to build these really data-driven experiences across all their channels without having to know any you know, engineering or technical skill set. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, I have the CEO and founder of High Touch, Tejas. And this is a very impressive company. They started in 2020. They just raised around and are valued at over $600 million. And what do these guys do? They work in data. Basically, making data flow all through your Shopify site, your CRM, your your data warehouse, so you can do fancy, personalized things with your experience. And what's even more impressive is just how fast they've done it. So he started working at Segment, and then he wanted to start his own thing. He got into the travel industry. That did not work. They pivoted and then took this on, and they're now at over 100 people. It's an interesting conversation. He talked about selecting the right idea, selecting co-founders. He talked about what they did in their early days on how to be scrappy, how they would smart cut their marketing by doing podcasts, by getting into communities to leverage other audiences to get their customers, and now what they're doing to scale. So if you're looking to think differently and to build something big, I I think you'll learn a lot from this episode. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tejas. Today on the podcast, I've got the founder of High Touch, Tejas, on today. And I'm pretty excited because his background was super impressive, even though he just told me it wasn't a linear path to what he does. So I'm very confused with how he landed in the spot that he's in. But we're going to get into it. But Tejas, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Jim. Really excited to have the discussion today. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I see like your team is doing an awesome job of like setting you up on podcasts and stuff. They sent me your bio and I was like, Absolutely. I want to have a conversation. Has has podcast just been good for you, like getting out there for your business? Or is it more so for like a blanketed PR move? But like, what, what's the thought there? Great question. So it actually has been pretty impactful for our business. Podcasts are relatively hard to attribute, but I figure that anything we can attribute explicitly <laughs> is and that means that, that that is a good sign that there's probably a lot more traction than that coming from them. But you know, from the early days of of starting high touch, there were a couple of podcasts in the software engineering and data engineering space that were pretty prominent, like Software Engineering Daily and you know Data Engineering Podcasts and a few other general purpose startup podcasts that we reached out to. And it was really how we got our initial name as a business. Really? So it's like overall, our our marketing tactics as a business was like, let's not try to create our own audience. Actually, let's just try to leverage channels that already have an existing audience, whether it's a Slack community of data folks or marketing folks or marketing tech folks, or whether it's a podcast that already has a ton of listeners, we know if we're able to go on there and talk about what we're building at high touch and our perspective on the market, then we're going to get a lot more traction and, and eyeballs or I guess ears in this case from folks that might be interested in what we're doing than if we were just able to you know share things in our personal network. So over time, we focused our marketing on you know creating that audience of our own, but we've still found that you know to actually break out of our bubbles and our following from like you know middle of funnel perspective and grow the top, it's just important to to continuously be on on new shows and uh, evangelize what we're doing. 
That's okay. You're about to trigger me to go down a whole marketing path, but I'm going to hold myself. That's fine that's, too. Hey, that's really good advice just for people here. When you're starting out, yes, you want to build a community, your email list, and all those things if it's right for business. But you did this smart cut. It's like, oh, people are already here. Let me leverage that built audience. And then you could port them to yours or just build a good brand name. You mentioned podcasts. You mentioned Slack channels. Any other avenues you've gone down? And then second, what's worked well to like go in and make a splash podcast is kind of obvious, but like, how do you go into like a Slack community and all of a sudden be like this thought leader that people want to know about your company? Yeah, I think every channel has a different approach, right? You have to think about your audience and what they care about and what's natural in those types of communities, right? So when we got started, I mean, yeah, there were other tactics that followed this general principle of like, let's not try to create our own distribution channel. Let's go to where the, the users already are. Another example of this is partner marketing. So, you know, from the very early days of the company, we were doing blog posts with, you know, pretty significant real companies that were you know, pre-IPO or already public companies like Snowflake or DBT or Fivetran, et cetera. And the reason we were investing so much again in those is because A, that just like elevates your brand to another level where, you know, you know, you know that if Fivetran is is writing pieces on what is reverse ETL or how should companies be activating their data with some startup called High Touch? Well, they must at least have some customers or some reasonable traction. And that's that's the impression that you give off. But the reality is that we were doing that stuff from the very beginning of the company. So yes, there were other tactics that followed this principle of like, let's just ride off other people's brand. Then podcasts, partner marketing is another one. We even use partner marketing as an SEO hack. So any growth marketer is out there or demand gen folks, you know that on SEO, one of the most important things in terms of ranking the Google searches is the domain rating. So of course, over the long period of time, you want to build your own domain rating to be really strong on your own domain, like highditch.com. And we've invested a lot and done that at this point. But when we're just getting started, if we wanted to rank on you know medium search traffic words that were like somewhat competitive, but not that competitive, we could do that way more easily by just publishing a bunch of posts with partners like five trans, no plow, DBT, and all the startups. And every marketing team is just looking to produce more content and drive more traffic to their website. So there's kind of a win-win on both sides. But to answer your second question, I mean, yeah, you really have to think about the channel and what will work for that audience. So when we go on podcasts, you know, we try to keep it natural, talk about how our customers are using the platform, why we started the company, our perspective on the space, and just really focus on perspective. When we go into Slack communities, we might need to take a different approach, right? So we have alerts set up in various different communities for when people, you know, mention words like Salesforce or Marketo or you know API or something like that. And there might be something relevant to high touch there. Even if it's not a question asking for high touch directly, it might be adjacent or it might build awareness of high touch if we start responding to those. So we we really go into the community is just looking to help people out with topics that we really, really understand and and hopefully have a chance to link them a blog post or a tutorial that we've we built on our own domain for one of those topics. And it's a much more like natural approach that just meets the user where they are versus, you know, you can't go in there and just post a bunch of thought leadership. won't be well. Yeah. That's really helpful going where the audience is. And then like, it's a different strategy for each one. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm so envious of technical marketers that like had a very strong technical background that get into marketing. It's like you're playing chess when others are playing checkers. When I hear you say, oh, we have alerts set up. So anytime they talk about in Slack, the team jumps on it. And so they're very impressive stuff, man. I mean, those alerts really started as just like, you can open Slack, go to preferences and <laughs> set up keyword <laughs> alerts. 
similar to how you can set like your nickname or something like that in Slack. Just kind of yeah. hack that feature and start using it for for keywords in big Slack communities. But yeah, over time we've systematized it uh, more and more and more. So. What else have you systematized? I can't resist. That's a really good hack. We're six minutes in and you're pouring gold out. This is fantastic. <laughs> Man, the other thing that I think we did from the really early days very well and, and still continue to do is just like make sure we're trying everything we can to capture every bit of intent that's coming to our brand and website. So a lot of places on the website that collect email addresses, try to try to capture that sort of intent. We use, you know, services like Clearbit Reveal to tell you know, what domains are coming to our website, even if they don't identify ourselves and feed that into our outbound motion. We have like a whole app called Koala that our sales team actually uses built on top of Clearbit Reveal to facilitate with this. Super cool if anyone else is trying to get that marketing sales motion down pat. And then on the product, right, we had a product where you could try it out from the beginning. So you could sign up, check out High Touch, And we we put that live just as a way to capture intent, even when we knew the product experience wasn't even that like self-serve at the time. I mean, now it's a successful motion where there's you know automatic billing and pricing and the whole kind of product-led growth uh, thing happening there besides our enterprise sales. But when we first put it out, we were just like, well, we just want to use it as a way to capture intent. And we would actually use High Touch, our own platform, to sit on top of our database or data warehouse and you know, feed those signups and different product activities directly in Slack so that us as founders or the sales team or the marketing team could reach out to those folks and ask them why they signed up, what they're doing, et cetera. So I would say the other thing that we do really well is just, just capturing and looking for intent at every part of our funnel and dog fooding high touch to do that yeah. in a technical way, obviously. Right. That, that's very cool. Yeah. For people listening, Clearbit is magic. They even have a free version where you basically can see the domains of who went to your website we would then have VAs figure out like email addresses and do outreach. But th- those are really good call outs. Exactly. So people like, yeah. People like who the heck is Tejas? Like, will you introduce him or talk to him already? So like who, like what is, okay, well, let's start with high touch. What is high touch? Can you explain it? So anyone of any level can understand. And then two, could you give any data or insights on like the size of the company, where you're at in your growth phase, just so people really know what you all have done? Yeah, a hundred percent. So first quick explanation on what we do. We do what we call data activation. So High Touch is the leader in data activation. Now, what does that buzzword actually mean? Well, air quotes when you said data activation. So we're about to. I'm I'm excited. Yeah, let's let's demystify that. So I mean, it's quite simple. Companies are collecting all their data into these data warehouses and BI tools. So you know, Snowflake or Tableau or Looker, and they're staring at it in reports and you know, slicing and dicing it and analyzing it. Our thesis is that data can be so much more valuable if it's actually brought into the day-to-day workflows of every business team around a company. So particularly in marketing, I mean, that's our, our real focus area, marketing, growth, advertising, those types of digital functions that are just so data intensive. What we help do is just make it really easy for marketers to take any data in their company about what their customers are doing, any of that information from their data warehouse, and bring it into tools like Marketo or Facebook ads or Salesforce, where they can use that information to better target their customers better personalize the outreach to their customers, et cetera. So it's really just about you know activating the data that you have at your company by bringing it into the systems of action around the company. And we support about 200 plus of those systems. So you know any SaaS tool, any ad network you can imagine can basically be used with HighTouch and think of it as a magic wand that just lets you say, help me get this data there without any technical skills, engineering, knowledge of APIs, SQL, et cetera. 
Okay, that sounds exciting. We make it even more tangible with the use case. And could we even go consumer? Let's say I have a, a Shopify brand. I have Klaviyo as my email tool or attentive. And I'm running face or meta and Instagram ads. And I sell like t-shirts. Like talk yeah. to me around like a use case that, that would help me like with growth or marketing. 100%. So let's say you have a bunch of people coming to your, your Shopify store that sells t-shirts and they're adding various t-shirts to their cart, but they're not checking it out. Well, in a, in a typical world, I mean, I've seen marketers who are, you know, asking for a CSV of all the users who, you know, added something to the cart, but didn't check it out, uploading that to Klaviyo, using it to trigger campaigns. Um, with high touch, you don't have to ask your data or engineering team for any help to do this. You can mm. simply tap into all the data that is in systems like Klaviyo, is in your data warehouse, et cetera, and just create those types of custom audiences, like customers who added something to the cart in the last day and didn't check it out, and sync that over to systems like Klaviyo or Facebook ads or any sort of system to target those customers and send any other information you have about those customers, like what they added to the cart, the amount of things they added to the cart, how many times they've done this, when the first time they visited the site is, all that kind of information into those platforms so that you can use it to target them and really personalize your messaging towards those customers. You know, something that like another another big aspect of high touch is the omni-channel nature of it. So we integrate with, you know, every tool in the marketing stack, every advertising network there is, Facebook, Google, TikTok, Snapchat, you name it. So you can even do pretty cool stuff like, let me first try to email those customers if I have their email address, see if they'll get, you know, engaged via that channel. And then in the data warehouse, you know, companies have information flowing back of, did someone open an email? Did they click the link, et cetera? And if they're not engaging to email, you can then start putting paid ads against them by just syncing that cohort of users into a paid ad system. So just think about it as like superpowers with your data. It really just allows marketers to build these really data-driven experiences across all their channels without having to know any you know, engineering or technical skill set. Gotcha. So kind of no code friendly allows you to move fast and kind of creating those highways of data to, to do some innovative stuff. So, well, first, like, and talked about the size of high touch. Have you guys had a billion dollars, $2 billion? Where, where are we at in the, the growth phase? Or are you guys like, venture backed? Yeah. So we're venture backed. We recently, you know, announced a fundraise at a $615 million valuation. So not quite a billion yet, but you know, You're we have close. the aspiration. <laughs> We're about a hundred people. We're based in San Francisco, but we have offices in New York as well, and kind of a distributed team across the U.S., Europe, and Asia at this point for sales. And yeah, we focus on helping fast-growing brands all the way up to the largest enterprise in the world. So companies like PetSmart, GameStop, the NBA, just leverage their data for their marketing. So take all the data they have at their company and allow you to use that in every marketing tool and every advertising tool and, and really activate it to the fullest potential. That's a lot of money. You're at 100 people now. How quickly did you get to 100? Like when were you at less than 10 people? Yeah, so it's been a, it's been a quick trajectory over the last few <laughs> years. I actually left Segment about you know four years ago. That's where I was at as my full-time job where I really got introduced to the customer data, a customer data platform, MarTech space. But we only really started hitting the fuel and scaling up high touch in, in late 2020. So we were under 10 people in late 2020, maybe hit 10 around January, February 2021. So it's really just been, been two and a half years of 
super aggressive growth. That's because we've just found something that's so repeatable across different industries like e-commerce, you mentioned, retail, media and entertainment, gaming, and you know, companies across all these different industries are just looking for a better way to activate their data without relying on engineers or in-house pipelines or you know, CSVs or, or buying huge, expensive customer data platforms. They just want a new tool that can help them move fast and activate all the data they have in their business. Yeah. How do you feel as you like close this round of funding and you have 100 people? Like go through the emotions of like, first, that's validating and super impressive and exciting. But then you have this flip side, like, holy smokes, people have trusted me with like their employment, like with their their funds. How do you you balance or think through that? Or are you just a machine and you're like, I got it? Definitely not a machine. So the biggest thing for for me and also my co-CEO, Kashish, I think is just getting the fundraising out of the way and being able to focus on the business. You know, it, I think it's really a, a testament to the company, to the team, to the the product market fit that we have and our customers to be able to raise in in this economy at an at an upwards, you know, very positive uh, valuation and round. But it's really just you know providing us the the responsibility to do something with that and and to make the most of it is the way I think about it. And not just for our investors, but also for the whole team. I really feel like what we what we're working on high touch is is solving a universal problem that pretty much all marketing teams, all data teams, and all companies face. And you know the importance of activating this data and the amount of data you need to activate is is only going up across all these industries. So it's it's really our our goal to to make the most of it. Yeah, that was way too good of a polished up like CEO answer right there. It's like you've been there for a decade, but I'll I'll let you pass on that one. So let, let's good. go. <laughs> Let's go to Tejas before you started this, because I'm always interested. I think a lot of people listening, they like, see this, like, wow, segment. Okay, cool. I'll raise a, a, a quick mill and like, boom, you're off to the race with high touch. But we know that's not the narrative, right? Talk to me about you before high touch, like leading up to this, because a lot of people want to make that leap and jump. And I think seeing how people do that is is really kind of eye opening. Yeah, 100%. So it was actually my co-founder and co-CEO who was initially working on the startup out, out of the three of us, uh, Kashish. I mean, he was initially working on a travel company post-college. So mm. let's just say the story starts there is 100% not a straight shot between <laughs> segment and high touch, but our perspectives definitely helped along the way. I was ready for something new, ready to, to start a company. That was my goal at the time. And I, I didn't you know, while Segment obviously had tremendous traction to that point, tremendous growth over the last years, I didn't really feel like Segment was going to become you know, the next Salesforce, right? I didn't really feel like the CDP market was actually going to be the default standard way how companies uh, manage their data. But I also didn't know what the right solution was at that time either, I would say. And that combined with just my interest in entrepreneurship, you know, convinced me to, and just the perfect timing. I think that was the biggest part of, of having a close friend that is you know looking for a co-founder is and starting to work on a company made me jump in and work with him on on the travel company. Now, if you fast forward about you know if you look at my LinkedIn, probably eight nine months after I left Segment to, to work on the startup full time, something something crazy happened in the world. So if anyone can't guess, it's <laughs> COVID, right? And while we had some traction, the business definitely wasn't you know eight months in wasn't at the point or on the trajectory where it really made sense to wait out this you know disaster, worldwide disaster that ruined many things, including the travel industry. It was a crazy time as a startup founder where we had raised the seed round, we'd been through IC, we had, you know, started 
working on scaling company and the metrics literally just hit zero within within a week of the US announcing, you know, the nationwide quarantines on travel. So we took a step back and said, okay, we have to make a decision. <laughs> Do we stay with, you know, stick it out and, and wait to see how long this is, you know, months, years, it could even be a long-term impact on the B2B travel industry. Or do we just do something new? And we both decided that we wanted to do something new. And in fact, I think it was a blessing in disguise. We we weren't really super excited about working in the travel industry after having gotten into it for eight or nine months. It's very complicated, you know, very operationally intensive, very low margins. It's, 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 it's a huge space, but not an attractive one for us for a number of reasons. And we really wanted to work on something innovative at the software level. So this, you know, COVID gave us this opportunity to take a jump that we wouldn't have had you know, the, the will to do otherwise in some ways or the reason to do. And it also gave us the opportunity to bring in Josh, who's our other co-founder and our CTO now, who was working on his own startup at the time and didn't quite hit a product market fit to jump in and for the three of us to pursue Hightouch together. And yeah, I mean, when we started Hightouch and we initially got the idea for it, it was a, it was a long journey of talking to customers. But actually my initial experiences at Segment, I would say, made us made us actually see the opportunity of high touch as potentially something like smaller or discarded as maybe a, a feature of a bigger platform or too similar to things we'd worked on the past at first. But it wasn't until I recognized that there was just this massive shift that was happening in the way that companies managed their data and that, you know, the cloud data warehouses like Snowflake, which just IPO'd the year we were starting high touch, was just penetrating companies of all sizes. And when it came to data, you know, the data warehouse and business intelligence tools weren't the advanced solution anymore. They were becoming the default way companies would look at their data or answer questions about their data. And once I realized that it was just like such a fundamental change, and we talked to so many companies that were using platforms like Segment or CDPs that were still really struggling to activate their data because they could never get all their data into a CDP or it's too expensive or it's too much work or too rigid. We realized that there was really a need for a new solution in the space and and made the jump to found high touch. But yeah, it definitely, you know, was not a straight shot at all. In fact, you know, prior experiences actually sometimes make you feel like the opportunity is already solved or or that it's it's a feature of another platform, et cetera. But all you really need to 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 make a dent and start shifting the industry like we have started to do at high touch is to find that wedge or opening in the market where where customers are, you know, very dissatisfied. Gotcha. So it's like this wedge can come from one, customers being dissatisfied, and or two, a shift in the market, a shift in what's going in the landscape. Or there maybe has to be a fundamental shift in what's going on in yeah. the landscape, I would say. It, you yeah. know, SaaS is quite, it's quite competitive, is quite competitive these days. So I don't think there's uh, as much of a situation where, you know, companies are just sleeping on, on prod changes in, in the market <laughs> either. So I think fundamentally, you know, there there has to be a a big shift that you're riding, like we were, yeah. which is the explosion of digital data. You know, leading to new technologies that companies needed to manage that digital data, like cloud data warehouses, leading to you know companies becoming way more advanced internally with their data. You know, having data analysts, having all their data in a warehouse using BI, and then leading to eventually the way they activate data needs to fundamentally change. Where you, know, you can't just put all your data into a CDP or a system like Salesforce and expect to be able to do everything you want with your data across marketing and sales and your business from there. You really need a more flexible solution that can sit on top of the, the source of truth of, at a company, which is becoming the data warehouse. So I would say like 
finding a wedge is essential, but to grow really fast like we did, there has to be a fundamental shift in terms of how companies are are doing things or in the technology landscape to to just really hit the, the fuel and accelerate. Gotcha. And when you went through YC, it was with the travel idea, not with high touch. Right? For sure. Yeah, it was with the travel idea at the time. Gotcha. Um, and so one thing that you've mentioned is I think a lot of people like want to do something really quick. We, I don't want to look over like the decision, a couple of decisions, like what to work on, who to work on it with and where you work on it. Cause it's like, you chose a category, this rave, this wave, this rioting, very high, high valuations, great margins, great opportunity as far as like data and SaaS, right? Like great choice. The second is being in San Francisco, where that is the hotbed for it. And then you've, you've talked about your co-founders. Can you give more color? Because I think a lot of people listening, they're like dipping their toes in the waters of like, oh, should I work with this person? No, if I should work with this person. Can you give more color on like why this has worked out? Assuming it has, it looks like it is. Because you also mentioned co-CEO because it sounds like there might be some overlapping skills or maybe not. But give more color on like, co-founder selection and how to like nurture those relationships so it goes well. Yeah, no, 100%. So for, you know, for starting the company, uh, a big, I always knew I wanted to start a startup, but a big reason I started at the time was the, the people, the alignment of, you know, me and Kashish wanting to both start a company and make that jump at the same time. That's just a rare occurrence I've learned. It's really hard to find people at the, who are, you know, great friends with you, you know, you'll work well together, but they, they want to also do something at the same exact time. So once I missed that opportunity a couple of times, I realized this time I would I would jump into it. So big, big emphasis on the people and the founding team because everything else about the business is likely to change. That's the only thing that really stays consistent and sticks the same throughout um, the product, the idea, the business model, the challenges, the team, the the rest of the team, et cetera. In terms of in terms of like actually, you know, choosing co-founders and figuring out what to optimize, I think the, the I mean, the first and, and most important thing I would say is just finding people that you work really well with and really respect like intellectually and are going to put in the effort and grind and kind of share similar goals in terms of where they want this company to head as, as you. When Kashish and I started working together and later when Josh joined the team, that was really important to us all aligning on like, you know, are we optimizing for something quick here? Are we trying to take the company really big? How would we decide on decisions on like when to sell or different things like that? Or, and we were all pretty aligned that we we wanted to really help lead a, a large disruption in a category. Uh, we weren't aligned on data at the time yet, but a large disruption in a category and um, take this as big as possible versus you know do something like a quick flip, et cetera. Even though we were all coming from you know very different backgrounds, because she should recently finish school and it's masters in, in in AI and data science, and and you know Josh and I had left segment which is a company that I just exited, but we all had the same end goal in mind for what we wanted for the business. So I think that's also highly important. And lastly, I think complementary skill sets are great, but they're not actually that essential as long as everyone's sort of a T-shaped player. So we all have different different roles on the team and, and we're always bouncing around who owns what in the company, You know, probably every six to eight months, honestly, based on the needs and where we need extra effort and where we need extra fuel or where something's taken care of. But what's really important is that I think all of us have the ability to jump around different parts of the business. So even Josh, our co-founder, who's our CTO, you know, plays like a decently substantial influence in things like marketing or jumps on sales calls to help out all the time. Or we're all jumping around to different areas of the business and we chose each other because we have that versatile skill set. 
um, versus people who are, you know, for most companies, I don't think it makes sense to specialize on a very specific, specific skill set when looking for co-founders. Unless, of course, you're doing something that's super niche or R&D, et cetera, where you just need that uh, very specific skill set. Yeah. No, man, that's super interesting just hearing that. And it's almost like when you have these A players, it's like you can wear different hats and go down this different path. Because a lot of times you hear it's like, oh, you have the the technical person and then you have like the business sales, like evangelist person. But it's like there's there's other formulas that can work really well when like figuring out that that A player. Yeah, and ultimately you have to pick something, run, run with yeah. it regardless of your background. Like before doing high touch, you know, I had always had a technical background, product background was on the engineering side of things at Segment. And then, you know, for all of us, we've had to learn this whole new skill of go to market. And a lot of that's just been learning it as we're going and aggressively being resourceful and reaching out to people we work with at our past jobs or investors or advisors or asking people, hey, who's the best at SEO that we can learn from or who's the best at thought leadership or category creation that we can learn from. So it's, it's, you know, there doesn't have to be a specialized skill set as much as much as a willingness to get really good at what the business needs. If that makes sense. Yeah, very cool. And I'm always interested with companies as you grow, like the, these phases of growth. Like, how did you get the first 10, 50, or 100 customers, and how has that changed from like scrappy stuff to more scalable things? Like, kind of walk through like how that's changed since inception. Yeah, a hundred percent. So. It was quite, quite scrappy, I would say, for the first 100 customers as a whole. Yeah. We were able to get the customers from various different channels, and they were also in various different you know, industries, company sizes, et cetera, even geographies around the world, which gave us a lot of conviction in the business mm-hmm. as founders. So I don't think I've talked about this too much online, but I mean, some of our first customers ranged from like a newspaper in Norway to that that found out about us because I used to intern at HubSpot, which <laughs> now became a huge company. And I asked one of the founders, Darmish, who's obviously super uh, popular to share high touch on, on LinkedIn. And then you oh, know, wow. a random salesperson in Dublin, <laughs> Ireland at HubSpot found that and reached out to us and said, hey, I have a customer who could use this. So there was a, you know, a pseudo partnership motion going on back then. Yeah to just like using our network, asking our investors, asking our friends, you know, can I speak to this person? Can I speak to that person at a company, you know, here in, in San Francisco and Silicon Valley, all the way to triaging these Slack communities and finding people who were asking about the very problem that Hightouch solves and just reaching out to them and seeing if we can help out with that. So it's from a variety of different channels in the early days, all mostly like mostly oriented or more around like inbound and word of mouth versus let's say more like paid channels or things like that. We just didn't have the repeatability or the bandwidth to really invest in those things. And we really wanted to focus on where we were able to create a company where you know customers were would come to us. Obviously that shifts over time, but it was really important to us in the early days because we thought that was essential for getting a, a fast growth rate. But it was, I would say, quite a diverse number of channels. We were really looking again where the customers are and where the eyeballs mm-hmm. are and just trying to be be slotted there. So I think I would I'd really go back to are the first statement I made on this podcast, which is that when you're getting started and trying to build your, your name out and get those initial customers, it's, it's really valuable if you can just find what are the channels, what are the communities, what are the blogs that those customers are already listening to or reading or participating in 
and just be a part of those versus trying to create your own audience, which is where I, what I see a lot of startups do and uh, frankly, sort of struggle with in the early days. It's a lot easier to do that once you have some momentum. Totally. Yeah, because that's rolling a snowball uphill or whatever, which can be tough. I, I have two kind of questions I, I'm going to pack into one, which is I'm interested to know, like, where's your time going right now? Because a lot of times in the early days, it's like, I'm going to be scrappy. I'm going to like hand-to-hand combat, get customers. And then as you grow, you're at 100 people. It's like, oh, wow, culture, hiring, building systems. I'd love to know where your head is at. And two, like, how do you manage it all? It's so hard to wear different hats and transitions. Like, oh, I'm in product mode. Okay, I need to be in hiring mode. Any like, I won't say hacks, but I'll say hacks. I'm looking for tips, secrets. Like, how do you pull it off, right? Because that's where I hit a plateau a lot of times is, is the transition cost and wearing different hats. But yeah, w- w- would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, so I'll be honest. <laughs> I struggle with this as well. And I'm not <laughs> sure if I have the best hacks or I'm still adapting to get there. Yeah. So maybe in a year, I'll be better here. But mm-hmm. yeah. I, what I would say is that a couple of things. One, it's not possible at the scale we're at to kind of run every function through like one person. So not only do we sort of divide and conquer between us three as co-founders, but we also have built a pretty strong, you know, leadership team and executive team here at Hightouch that just owns certain areas and just does it better than we would even do as founders. Mm-hmm. And part yeah. of that is due to their skill set and their experience. And the other part of that is obviously just, just due to the sheer focus and drive that they can put on that one function. So, yeah. you know, we have leaders in place for marketing, people, sales, solutions, engineering, demand gen, you know, engineering who just absolutely crush it and just focus on the domain and and frankly do a much better job than than we could. And I think that's that's kind of our our metric test for if we have the right leader in the function. Are they doing a better yeah. job than we could? And right, you uh, want to feel almost a little inadequate. They start doing something like, oh, that was significantly better than the way I would have approached it or something. When you get that been there, done that player, it's 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 super energizing. Yeah, yeah. And if that's not happening, then you know there's a problem in some ways, right? Yeah. So yeah. the other thing I would say is is just making space. So this is a tough one, but in the weekdays, frankly, between the hours of, you know, 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. or something like that, I don't have like much time to, you know, reflect or to <laughs> try to, you know, figure out something big on the product or marketing side. It's more running around, giving feedback, answering questions, having meetings, um, reviewing stuff. Whereas it's just important as a founder, even when you're running, 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 to figure out what are those hours for you that you can have extra space to actually like, you know, take time to deeply think about things because context switching in the daytime like that just doesn't work. So for, yeah. for many people, it's early mornings. It's like that for one of my co-founders. For me, it's it's evenings. There's like certain hours between after the workday ends and going to the gym or doing something to clear my mind and the rest of the day that's just gets like super productive as well as Sundays. So I, I just usually work every Sunday as like a catch-up day as well. I would say those are the essential things that kind of come to mind to me is just like kind of accepting that you can't do everything, making sure you have the right people in place to delegate and run with those functions. Two is just accepting that you won't probably won't be able to make space during like the core working hours. Like those hours yeah. are for you to support your team and to make sure you're accelerating everything you're doing, whether that's reviewing stuff, providing advice, helping out with it, et cetera, and just finding time to, to make that space for yourself to, to focus and go deep into things that is completely separate from those hours. Yeah. 
No, that, that that's super good advice. And yeah, because I like I'll put a to do list down and then it's like, oh, wait, I have 90 minutes of free time today to do those bazillion things. It's like, what world do I live in where that's even going to be possible? Yeah, um, I think the other thing is just trying to knock out things when they come versus create yeah. like really big to do list and almost having a contest with yourself for things that are less strategic of like, how quickly can I get this done? Basically. Right. There's some yeah. there's some tasks like you know sending an email, asking for an introduction, sharing something, et cetera, where it can take a long time, but the delta might not be that great depending on the time put into it, right? There's diminishing returns to some extent. Or if you, you know, don't have anxiety and if you don't you know, aren't getting too stressed about it, you can just knock it out super quickly. So for for many tasks, it's just like, you know, what's the absolute fastest I can get this done and continuously pushing yourself to do that. And then for other things, it's it's honestly you give up and trying to have have this happen in the daytime and just find your own silo time to do that. Yeah, that's a really good call. My, my partner's really into GTD, like getting things done. And if it takes under like three minutes or five minutes, you just do it. And I, I try and do that. But it's funny. I had this task. It was like hanging on me for like a week. And then on Friday, I was like, I'm gonna sit down and do it. And I was like, trying to find all the space for me. The, the task took 11 minutes. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, like it's so once stupid. you actually get started once you pass that inertia, right? <laughs> Exactly. It's like, I'm, yeah, I need to step it up. But what one question I always like to ask people is, you know, what is the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional careers? You kind of look where you've been, where you're going, where you're at, what, what comes to mind with that? Yeah, this is a funny one. I would say the nicest thing that anyone's done for me in my professional career is probably just like, watch me like a hawk. And <laughs> give me really aggressive feedback on on everything I'm doing across the business. So there's a couple of people on our, our leadership team who who serve this role. One that comes to mind is our VP of engineering, Corey. And you know, he's always just like paying attention to all parts of the business and how we can up level ourselves at leadership and moving faster at execution, gaps we might be missing. And just like provides me that kind of direct straight shooter feedback every time we we connect. And even in the times when like, you know, go to market is the most important thing and say not product and engineering, it's just that I just value that level of feedback and like second pair of not eyes that I can reach out to, but proactive eyes that will just be like really aggressive on you that, that I get from, from him. So overall, I would say like the best thing that you can receive as a, you can ask for as a leader is just really direct feedback because a lot of people will, will feel even no matter how open you make yourself as a leader or how comfortable of an environment you try to create, there's a dynamic there that not yeah. many people will cross. So if you find people who will give you super direct feedback, make sure to invest in them and go proactively ask for, ask for that over and over and, and, and explain to them how important that is to you as a leader because it, it can truly be a superpower. That's good advice. Yeah, we did like a 360 degree reviews and like I didn't get any reviews. I'm like, well, somebody shoot me straight. And there's a couple people where like I crave that because I've got blind spots. And so when you find that, it's like constantly like hit people up for it because that's how you get better. So that's 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 really cool. Well, Tejas, this is again, you're super impressive with what you guys have built and what you're doing. I mean, well done. But if people want to learn more about you or, you know, what you guys are building, where can we point them? Yeah, so my social media is rather straightforward. My username is really, you know, my first name and last name. So Tejas Manohar on most social media, whether it's LinkedIn, Twitter, any of that, you know, not really on threads if anyone's looking for that. <laughs> but <laughs> easier way to find me is probably just to Google Tejas High Touch or Tejas Data or something like that. 
and find my profile given the length of my name. But yeah, if anyone wants to, to chat about customer data, marketing, or just company building, feel free to, free to reach out. Love talking about this stuff. And if anyone needs help getting data into their marketing technology tools or advertising networks or using it to run like super powerful campaigns or personalization, then check out hightouch.com, which is just high, like the word high, or H-I-G-H, just to be clear, and <laughs> touch, like the word touch. And we'll, we'll get you started in the, in the fastest way possible. Yeah, I feel like people want to be early to this if you want to be black belt at marketing as far as because like when we do experiments around personalization and whatnot, it's insane what it does for conversion rates. I'm I'm excited to check it out. But um, Tejas, thank you so much for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out GrowthHit. GrowthHit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthHit has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Are you a business owner in desperate need of talent, but you have issues finding good people? Or worse, you find the talent, but then they want you to pay them double what you have budgeted. Yeah, I know the feeling. This is where remotely talents can help. Imagine having a personal HR team that finds you A plus talent, and here's the best part, it costs you 40 or even 80% less than US employees. It's magic. So let's say you need help with setting up your social ads, your Google ads, email marketing, website development, customer service. Their team sources the top Ukrainian talent for you and they deliver three top vetted candidates straight to your inbox. It's a one-time payment and best yet, they give you a 60-day guarantee to ensure you're happy. Hey, if it doesn't work out, they'll find and replace the talent for free. Even better, 3% of all sales go to the Children's Hospital in Ukraine. At Growth Head, our agency, we've hired four people from Ukraine. I am blown away by the level of work we're getting. So whether you need a virtual assistant or a creative director, give this a try. Go to remotelytalents.com right now and start a conversation. See if they can help you. You really have nothing to lose.